Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What is up, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Squared Away podcast. We have an amazing guest today. It's Jen Drummond. Jen has a book coming out called Breakproof. Uh, in January, I let her give her uh, her contact info so you guys can get that. But um, I'm going to let Jen introduce herself and tell us who she is and what she is proud of. Yay! Hi, friends. My name is Jen Drummond. Thanks for having me here today. I am a mom of seven, an entrepreneur, and most recently a world record holder for climbing the second highest point on each of the seven continents. And an author. And an author, right, the author, you're right. And a speaker and a coach and all that fun stuff. The, so the, it's funny because when, when I first read your biography um, and I saw Second Highest Peak, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I started looking into it. But like what people don't understand, explain to us why that is actually sometimes more difficult. Yeah, so all of them are more difficult, actually, believe it or not, because if either the technical terrain on the second highest peak versus the first highest peak, 
or the logistics to get there because there's just not as many people that climb the second highest peak. So you don't have the infrastructure or even the beta on the climbs to know what to do and what to expect. Yeah. One of the coolest thing I've seen with, with mountain climbing is when you, when, when they zoom out, especially on like Everest and you see like the train of people that is going up to summit and you're like, Oh, this is almost looks like a cafeteria line. Like I'm, and I'm not discounting how hard it is at all, but it, it it's become such a, a badge of honor that it's almost like a, right, like a cookie cutter purchase, right? Like we'll get you to the summit oh. of Everest. Uh, yes, it's it feels like Disney World, honestly. And I, when I look at Everest, I was so scared to climb Everest the first time I went there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all the stories, all the things. And then you get there after you've been on mountains that have nothing, like no humans, no infrastructure, no help. You get to Everest and you're like, oh, I forgot something. Oh, don't worry. Somebody's coming up tomorrow and they'll bring it for you. Or like, I mean, it's just crazy. And They've commercialized it so much that there's teams that manage different sections of the mountain. So when I went through the ice fall, I had to go through the ice fall four times and every time it was a different route, but I didn't have to set the route. I didn't have to find out that I got to that point and it was broken and we had to go a different way. Somebody else took all care of all of that for me. So I just had to walk. It was fascinating. Yeah. The only difference would be like if you rode on a Sherpa's back. A hundred percent. It'd be nice, but they don't do that no. yet. Let's hope they don't. But yeah, like if you climbed Everest in the eighties when there was no support and everything was by yourself and you were figuring it out and you didn't have drones to fly ahead to see if this route was the good way to go. I mean, that's an accomplishment. But nowadays, if you are healthy and can handle altitude, Everest is within reach. Have you always been a climber? Or is this something you picked up later in life? Totally later in life. I got into a car wreck in 2018 that should have taken my life and didn't. And that set me on this like, who's Jen? And what does Jen want to do? And what am I going to do if I run out of time to do all the things I want to do? And so climbing a mountain was on my list. And then I was turning 40 in 2020. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday and launch that decade. And so I called some friends and they're like, yeah, climb this mountain named Ama de Blom. I'm like, okay. They're like, you'll know it. It's the Paramount Pictures logo mountain, like the one that's our circle around. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Sure. So here I'm training for Ama de Blom and my like homeschool happens because COVID happens and now I'm not traveling anywhere and I'm teaching kids all this stuff. And one of my sons was struggling with his math homework. I'm like trying to give him that parent pep talk. We do hard things. You've got this. And he looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde <laughs> instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest. Ooh. How I'm old like, is this kid? I'm a de blom. Not I'm a dumb blonde, sweetheart, but thank you. How old is this kid? And so, yeah, he was like nine, oh. right? And so I totally think like he heard it as I'm a dumb blonde Savage. instead of I'm a de blom. Savage. Yes. So I'm like, you know what? You finish your homework and we'll look at Everest. So he did and we did, and then he went to bed and then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? If Everest is the hardest mountain in the whole world to him, I'm going to climb it and I'm going to show him whatever our Everest is, we can summit. And so I hired a coach and the coach is like, yeah, I can get you ready. Buy this book about becoming an uphill athlete. I'm like, okay. So I buy this book and in the front of it, this lady gets a Guinness world record for doing something in the Alps. And I must have had like a bad day. And so I, when I was talking to my coach, I was like, I could have done that. 
And I would be a cool mom. Like my kids learned how to read on these books and I'm not cool. Like homeschooling is not working out for us at all. And he's like, oh, I'll think of something. So then he called back a few weeks later. He's like, Jen, I think you should do the seven second summits, which at the time to me, I was like, what kind of tongue twister are you talking about right now? Like, I don't even know what you're saying. And he goes, listen, he's like the second highest point in each continent. It's harder than the first. Only one male's done it. You'd be the first female. And if you think about it, seven continents, seven mountains, seven children, sounds like a jackpot. I'm like, it does. I haven't slept in a tent. Does that matter? Let's say yes. And so we said yes, and we figured it out. <laughs> That's one of those things where it's almost like the universe is conspiring to like make your life because you were like, hey, I'm going to do something. And the universe is like, let me set up this seven, this series of sevens for you right in this perfect alignment. And then you got into it. What was that like? Yeah, you know, it's always prettier on paper <laughs> than it is in reality. I was like, whoa, this is a big undertaking. No wonder why somebody hasn't done it before. Um, but at the same time, because somebody hadn't done it before, it gave me that excitement that I needed to stay with it. And then, like, I fell in love with the process, which I think is so important because, for example, I was on Everest Summit for 10 minutes. I trained 1,232 hours to be on the top of that mountain for 10 minutes. If we only do it for the summits, like whatever we're chasing, whatever mountain we're climbing in our lives, physical and metaphorical, you missed out on a whole bunch of the pursuit, right? So for me, it was great because I actually liked being out in nature. I liked being unplugged. I liked the people that I met in other parts of the world because they were outdoorsy and eco-conscious and just all that kind of stuff. So it was very much my tribe that I didn't even know I knew was existed. So you're, you're 39, you're looking at this, this, this record, right? This world record. And what gets us to that point? Like where what, were you always athletic? What was your, what was your early childhood like? Yeah. So if I look back, um, I was a gymnast when I was younger, so that gave me a ton of body awareness, right? I played soccer, so that gave you that fast twitch and that slow twitch muscle fiber to be able to do both. And mountains are, you know, you have punchy sections and you have boring sections and everything else. And then I got into triathlon for a little bit because it was a great way to meet people because those people train all the time. Um, so I got into triathlon and then I kind of like sat out of things because life just got busy. And so when I called my coach, I'm like, hey, here's my background. He's like, you couldn't have picked really a better background unless you were a hiker and a rock climber. I'm like, okay, perfect. So I had the foundation that made getting into this a lot easier than somebody who wasn't a lifelong athlete. What about the mental foundation, though? Have seven children. You have a lot of mental foundation being tested every single day. Like everybody, like it was so funny because what I did not know when you go to climb Everest, you know, in a given year, probably 60% of the people summit. Of the 40% that do not, probably 85% is because of mental. Yeah. It's not, it, you know, like 15% is because you got sick and you like bad timing or whatever else like that. And then, or like you got injured on a rotation or something. But literally, like most of the people that don't summit, it's the mental game, not the physical game. I mean, I had a friend on my team that did five Ironmen in a row, okay? And we were at the balcony. So we were about 
three hour, maybe four hours from the summit. And he's like, I'm done. No, you're not done. We're not done. And he's like, no, 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 I'm done. I'm like, and he's pouting. I'm like, okay, no, you're not. So we literally like sandwiched him between two people and just, yeah, I'm like, I don't care if we're pulling you up the rest of this mountain, you're not done. And it's interesting because so many people identify as the person pursuing the goal, right? Like I was on a team primarily of people from England. People from England love Everest because of Sir Edmund Hillary being the first person to summit, right? They've heard about this since kindergarten. And so since kindergarten, this person has like wanted to climb Mount Everest and all of a sudden they're there and they haven't thought about who they are once they have, who they are once this is behind them. And I thought that was just a fascinating thing because for me, I I love what I'm chasing, but there's always a what's next. And that what's next, like just keeps this one from being too heavy for me to like put too much weight on it and then too much pressure on myself and all that kind of stuff. So I don't perform. Yeah, that's a good point. The oh, how do you guys handle the high altitude training then? Being triathletes is not something that you're, you know, trained for. Yeah. So some people like at some level, whether you're good at altitude or not, it's genetic. Okay. I live at altitude too in Park City, Utah. Right. So I'm at 6,500 every day. That's what I sleep at. I can get to about 11,000 on a hike. So that gives me a huge advantage. Um, I also invested in a tent that you put on your bed. So then it simulates a lower oxygenated environment. So I could simulate what that would feel like and prep my body to get there because you need that stress to cause your body to physiologically change and make more red blood cells so you can go higher up the mountain. Um, so for me, altitude has always been, knock on wood, a lot easier than for other people. And I'm grateful for that. But when you go to Everest, and here's something to think about for all of us achieving goals, they have this thing called acclimatizing. Okay, so you actually climb up the mountain to camp one, camp two, maybe camp three, till you hit a point of failure. And when you hit that point of failure, then you come down, you sleep at the camp that you're closest to, and then you go all the way down to base camp, and you're at base camp for three days. And those three days, that's when your body changes, makes more red blood cells. So now when you go up the mountain again, you can go up higher without the stress. And when we're chasing our goals, I think a lot of times we think we're just going to go from base camp to the summit. We don't think about these acclimatization rotations where, hey, on this pursuit, we're going to hit a point of failure. That doesn't mean quit. That doesn't mean stop. That doesn't mean like, oh, it wasn't meant to be. That means you come back to base camp. You look at what's working, what's not, what do I know now? So I'm better prepared to go higher up my climb. You know, like when I went my first time on Everest, I realized I need my warmer gloves the next time, or I need like less underwear in my backpack because I'm really not going to change five pairs when I'm there for two days. You know, like just like silly things that you learn because you've actually been to that spot. Oh, that's perfect. I like that. Yeah. You've accomplished, I mean, you set out to accomplish this goal and you accomplish this goal, um, yeah. which kind of sets you up to be like this, not superhero, right? But like, how has that changed fear in your life? See, I think for all of us, we have experiences with fear. And when we have these experiences with fear, we keep it on speed dial. So when then fear shows up again, we're like, oh, this happened before, this happened before. And so when you are managing fear or you're working through fear, I think it's very important for wherever we are in our journey to make sure we have a success story on speed dial, not a failure story on speed dial. 
And we just need to keep accumulating those success stories because, you know, I'm afraid of heights, not an awesome thing to be afraid of when you get into mountaineering. And when I got to Everest, you have those ladders, right? And those ladders like have 2000 foot drops underneath you. And it's not like it's an OSHA approved ladder. The thing you step on one side and like the other angle on the other side goes up and it's not touching the snow anymore. And it like moves and all these things. And so when we got to my first ladder, I was like, whoa, okay. So I stopped. I gave myself a pep talk, something we're all capable of doing for ourselves at any time. I read a note that one of my friends wrote me for when I was going to get into a hard time. I listened to like vanilla ice because I'm like anything less than the best is a felony, right? So I'm like trying to get myself into the mindset. And then I start and I say out loud, like the entire time I'm crossing this ladder, safe step, safe step, safe step. So then nothing else can stick to my brain, right? Like my brain is on this pattern. It's on this mantra. It blocks any other thought from getting into the way. And that's the one thing I can do to get across this ladder safely is make a safe step. That's in my control. Other things are not. And so then when I got to the other side, we had an impromptu dance party because I had to shake all those nerves out of my body. And I also had to celebrate that like that was a big deal for me. And so get the nerves out, celebrate the thing. And now I know like when I came to the next ladder, I'm like, I've already done this. Like I'm still going to be scared, but I've done it. And now when I have other things in my life, I'm like, listen, I climbed Everest. Like, I'm okay. Like, I got this fear thing. And I think it helps. I do. I truly do. Have you reached a point where you've had a level of success that you look and go, oh, that didn't fulfill me the way I thought it was going to? Oh, I think we convince ourselves that success is going to solve problems for us all the time. Right? Like, I remember when I started my business, and I was definitely operating from a fear environment at that time. I feel now that I've had this accident, I've definitely had a shift in how I operate. But at that time of my life, it was fear. And I was so afraid that if I didn't have money, I would have problems because I equated no money with like divorce and issues and fights and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, okay, if I make $150,000 a year, then I'm going to be fine. I made $150,000 a year, nothing changed. I'm like, okay, well, double that. Okay, so I'm going to make $300,000 a year. Didn't change. Okay, I'm going to double that. It didn't change, right? And so all of a sudden, you're sitting there thinking, like, maybe that's not the problem. <laughs> maybe the problem is inside here, and I need to learn how to appreciate where I am so that if I continue to go up, I know how to appreciate that too. And I think a lot of us get stuck in this if then. I mean, the car accident woke me up. I was, I had a plateau. I'm like, the kids are in school. The business is running fine. I don't really want to get into something else because what happens if somebody needs me? And I'm like so lucky to be a stay-at-home mom, so I should just live this to the fullest. I was bored out of my mind. I didn't really thrive in that position, but I felt guilty getting out of it. And that car accident happened. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. My life could end at any moment. And I want to know what noodles taste like in Italy. Like, I want to know these different things. And I'm the only one who's preventing me from getting into that. If you have an opinion about me, guess what? You're going to die too. So what does your opinion matter? It's all temporary. So that really gave me permission to start stepping into me. And then I even realized, I'm like, oh, wow, my kids are watching how I'm doing life. And before I was modeling, hey, have kids. It's fun. You sit at home and just wait to bring them lunches when they forget them. 
Now it's like, hey, have kids. It's fun. You still get to do you. And now you get to watch seven other people do life. And how cool is that? How do you balance Just shifted that? everything. How do you balance that? How do you balance making sure that you are investing enough time um, in the short period that we have with these kids, raising them, and you're not, you don't get to the end and look back and go, shit, I was selfish. Yeah. You know, I guess I can't say that yet because I'm not through the end. I'd like to believe that that's been a very big thing that I've been aware of. Um, so then when you're aware of it, you can make sure that you're not like being sideswiped by it. My kids were at least eight when I started on the pursuit and I went to a therapist ahead of time. I said, Hey, if I'm going to be gone for three weeks, is that going to like traumatize this child forever because they're eight years old? And the therapist is like, no, but you need to make sure, you know, like you're very intentional before and all this other, like what, what are ways that you can connect and have conversation and all this kind of stuff. And so I remember like my biggest fear of Everest wasn't Everest. It was like, how are my kids going to be? And so it was with that intention, I built this 40 day challenge before I went to Everest. And it was a connection challenge with my kids because I'm great at to-do lists. So I'm like, okay, on my to-do list every day, here's how I'm going to connect with my children. And it's silly things, right? It's a 30 second hug. Everybody gets a 30 second hug today. And one day I did candlelight breakfast, just something fun and different and out of the ordinary that we sat and ate breakfast under candlelight versus the lights on, whatever. They loved it. And then when I was at Everest, I got the kids' school involved. So I told the teachers, like, hey, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. Can you give my kids a little bit more grace because I'm not going to be here? And they have help at home, but you know how that can be. And my teacher's like, well, why don't you come in and teach a What's Your Everest campaign and teach these kids how to set these big goals and all this kind of stuff. So they set these goals. They colored hikers. They decorated the hallway. We had a huge mountain of Mount Everest in the front entryway. We had a little hiker that was me. I had a tracking device. So the school could move me up and down this mountain and everybody knew where I was. I could call in from base camp to the classrooms and answer questions about where I pooped and what I ate and like things that kids care about. And then when I summited, it was like the whole school summited, the whole community summited. And when I came back, my kids felt so seen and so loved and so supported by somebody that's not just me. And I think that was the greater gift is to let them know that, hey, this whole world is on your team, not just your mom. And look at how they showed up. And like, there's just, there's just other ways to build and be a good parent where it's not just you at the helm running the show. It takes a village. It does. And I think like that's one of the things I write about in my book is big mountains take big teams. So if you're taking on a big pursuit or trying to build a big company or you have a big family or you have this big thing, like the only way you're going to get to the top and enjoy it and have fun and have it work is if you have a big team behind you to help that happen. Otherwise, you're Sherpering all that stuff yourself. And there's a reason why we have Sherpas. Because they're good at it. They're good at it. Really good. <laughs> what's, a, what's a failure that you would have done different looking back at your life? Um, I don't, I, I don't like to do that because if we do it different then what happens comes different. Does that make sense? Like it just gives us ripple difference. Yeah, but we have a lot of lessons. We have a lot of lessons we can learn in our, in our own failures. Failures, right? Or like at the time it feels like the worst thing ever. Okay. So breaking up with somebody feels like the worst thing ever. And then years later you realize, man, 
that gave me a chance to reflect on who I am and what I want. And that person wasn't in. And now I found this better person. But we don't know that until we're through it. Like I failed K2 the first time. I lost a teammate to an avalanche. I had another one lose his hand to frostbite. Like it was carnage on this expedition. And I wished it away from, I'm like, why did I do it? What could I have done different? I wish I didn't take that expedition. Then I met people there. So when I went back to K2 in 2022, some people called me and said, hey, are you coming back? I'm like, yeah, I have to. It's one of my climbs. And I found out about a person that was training that didn't have the resources to climb. Oh, I can bring some of that stuff over. We have it readily available in the US. So I flew over, I climbed, became the third American female on the top of K2. And 30 minutes later, the first Pakistani female stood on top of her country's prized peak. If I would have wished that first failure away, that whole story wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have been able to be a part of it. So you don't necessarily look at failures as failures. They are what make us. I think they're pivots and they're redirects and they're chances to reflect and become a better version of whoever we are. Like my book is called Break Proof. It is in the break that we have the proof of what's working, what's not working, what do we need to change? Is this even the mountain that I want to climb? Breaks aren't bad. They just give us an opportunity to say, hey, guess what? Life's going fast. Is this what I want to do? I can appreciate that. How, how do you think your journey, how do you think your journey would have been different, harder and easier if you were a man? Because our, our audience is very much male, right? So, I, you yes. know, I'm sure a lot of things were harder, but I'm sure there were some things that were easier. Okay, one, it's a thousand times easier to pee if you're a guy. Fair. Just saying. Like, fair. Like, I mean, a whole different ball game when you're out in the elements. So you have us on that for sure. Um, two, it's funny because I climbed with a whole bunch of dads, right, and a whole bunch of guys. Not one of them got asked how are your kids? Who's taking your care of your kids? Are your kids going to be okay if you're gone? Right? Every person has asked me, what about your kids? Are they going to be okay? Like what's going on? And you're saying, they're thinking, oh, well, I don't mind you asking me that question, but can we ask it to both genders, not just me? Um, and then we're smaller, like I, in general, a female is smaller than a male. So you just can't carry as much stuff, right? There's just, I mean, the, body weight to ratio is different. So that's a little bit of a disadvantage, but I'm closer to the ground. So when we had to dig snow out or whatever else like that, I didn't have to bend over as much and I could help with that. So it's just like learning to play to your strengths and understanding that both genders have different strengths and that's okay. Yeah. Well, you can't say that today. Sorry. I don't know if you knew that, but we're all completely <laughs> okay. equal. Neither of us have strengths over the other one. That's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Um, I disagree. Yeah. Right. Um, I guess what about what about like all of the, all of the support and all the buildup, right? Because like you said, it takes a village. Um, what, what, what did that look like? How did you, how did you, I mean, I guess you, you're a successful businesswoman, so you, you were able to fund this adventure mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. there's a lot of people who are just really working to get by and trying to keep food in their kids' mouths. How do you, mm -hmm. what do you have for, for them to help them kind of look around and find help to, 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 to achieve their summit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they got my biggest helpers weren't necessarily my paid helpers. Right. So I hired, I mean, I did hire a coach, 
who climbed Everest before. So he was a mentor because he'd been there. But then he introduced me to like a whole group of people that collect that have climbed Everest. And so I was on those chat like things on Facebook and I'd call those people and I'd go on hikes with those people and they would give me like little tips and tricks and things that they experienced. And so when you're around people that are doing something that you're trying to do, it normalizes that pursuit and makes it feel much more attainable. You learn like the little hacks to make it easier. And like me, I've climbed Everest. I love when someone's going to try to climb Everest. I'll help any way I can. I've lent out my down suit. I've lent out my boots. Like there's ways to do it, but you have to put yourself out there and say, hey, here's my flag. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I need. Here's how I can help. And then the, the synergies come, but you have to first declare what that is and then start putting action behind it and doors open. We're very... We're very strong with how we suggest organizing your group of people around you because so many of us keep um, people in our everyday bubble that don't necessarily improve it or push us or drive us to to improve. And some some people that we deal with every day, whether it be because it's family or because it's just friends that are comfortable, are are actually drains on energy, right? They're, they're constantly needing stuff. Um, did you ever have to consciously cut somebody out of your life because they were just yeah. exhausting? And it's horrible. It's horrible. It's so hard to do, but you just have to do an inventory and realize, man, my life is short. I am not a rehab center or I'm not a venting center for this person. And when I leave them, I feel drained and exhausted and for me, like I have seven kids. So like, it's like, I have a lot of excuses on not having to do something like that, but that doesn't mean you that has less shouldn't have those boundaries and shouldn't have those reasons of, I need to protect who I am and do me the best I can. And you're not adding to that. And it's difficult, but I've just learned the best way for me to do it is crowd it out, crowd it out with other things and just be like, Hey, it's not working or this is what I'm doing or whatever else like that. Or if you want to spend time with me. I have to go do this hike. So you're welcome to join me on that hike, but otherwise we can't spend time together because this is my priority right now. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the the safest way, right? Like, that, like that's way, that's way easier than being like, Hey, you're kind of an actual, actual energy drain. And all you do is complain about your husband or complain about your wife. And that's really hard on me. So I'm going to have to go ahead and back off this friendship. Like that's, realistically that would probably give that person like a big red light Way more, like, yes. oh my god yeah. i am but also like we have to take care of our energy right yeah and i think like you know just because i'm a bad vibration for you or bad like cocktail between the two of us it doesn't mean you can't blend with somebody else and that's a better thing for you so again it's just for me i guess i'm more passive aggressive on it and you are more direct which i respect both to be honest how do you how do you go back and forth, right? You, 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 you summit Everest, you are on this high or you summit, you, you achieve your, you achieve your, your, um, world record. You're on this high and then you have to come back to like real life. I know. How? I know. Yeah. Well, you do have like a bit of depression after these mountains, believe it or not, because you had all this purpose and all this pursuit and all this energy and all this direction and all this like idea of what you wanted. And it was so easy to say yes or no, because if it got you closer, it was a yes. If it didn't, it brought you to a no. 
And so when that's done, I remember like getting back from Everest and I had a little time to recover and I went to the gym and I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, what am I going to do here? Like, why am I here? And it's just, I'm a person that needs a goal to keep me directed and accountable and moving in a direction that I want to do. Um, so you do have this lull afterwards. And I think the challenge becomes it's easy for extraordinary events to be extraordinary. That's easy. Like you don't have to put energy into that. That's going to happen. Where we need to put our effort and energy is, is making the ordinary extraordinary. And for me, like I got into that car accident that should have taken my life that didn't. For the, the three months after that accident, I wish I could tell you it was longer, but it really wasn't. Like everything was magic because it was all bonus minutes or all bonus experiences or all bonus, whatever. Like I had a phone call from the principal and the principal's like, your kid's been mouthing off in class and da, 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 da. I need you to address this. And he's like, you don't really sound that angry. I'm like, I am. He's like, he's in trouble. Don't you worry. We'll handle this when he gets home. I'm just so glad I'm here to take this call. Like I almost didn't ha get to have this experience. So like things become less like right and wrong or good and bad. And they become more of like, how cool is it? that I have two children that are from me that have entirely different opinions that are fighting with each other because they care about the other one so much that they want the other one to believe the same thing they think, right? Like I don't need to interrupt that. That's actually beautiful. And I think we just have to learn how to find those moments. Like I'm the weirdo that like loves the weed growing in the crack on the cement. I'm like, you go, like get it, make it happen, right? Like you just like, those are things that if you can find extraordinary and ordinary, your life's magic. How do we do that? How do we try, how do we try to accomplish that without, you know, death facing us, right? Because realistically we wake up every day and you know, th that, that is, you know, the, the, the Roman saying, right? Like, like you, you are, we're all going to die. Mm -hmm. But when death is 20 years away, 50 years away, it's not nearly as important as if death is tomorrow, but realistically death could come tomorrow for all of us. So how do we stay in that moment and become more well aware of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a practice. I think I don't think I don't think it's a hey, we decide this and it's done. I think it's oh wow, we need to practice and really feel grateful for what we have. And I mean, I was on an airplane the other day, and I was complaining because the Wi-Fi was down, and I had to check myself. I'm like Jennifer, right? When I get mad at myself, it's a Jennifer, not a Jen. Jennifer, you're on an airplane that changed this drive from 12 hours to one hour. You don't have Wi-Fi for a little bit. You're still getting served a drink. You still have a bathroom you can use. You're in a seatbelt and like you can read. Like let's get like, just pull back and just come back to like get the basics, right? And I think that's an exercise and something we all have to do and it's all within our reach, but it's something that we have to put the discipline around. Yeah, yeah I can definitely relate to that because I fly a bit. I'll be flying a lot this weekend. Sometimes I get upset that the Wi-Fi is going in and out in the airplane. And all of a sudden I got to catch myself and be like, hey, guess what? You're flying in this magical tin can through the air at like 500 miles an hour. So be thankful you're going to get there in one piece. So that's, that's amazing. Right. So true. So, But for your ordinary, like, like you said, the day-to-day -day when you get off that high, when you don't have a goal, um, it, it's tough. I got four kids. You got seven kids. Um, how do you approach your everyday, like your physical training, your nutrition? Um, is that something that you need to plan to stay disciplined at that if you don't have a goal? 
Oh yeah. I'm like junk food Jenny. So if I don't have a goal, like it's over. Okay. Like Halloween candy is out of our house two days afterwards because I'm the only one that will eat it. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely have to have a goal. Um, I definitely have to manage my schedule. So when I was training for the mountains, I would put family and family and business in, and then I give the coach my calendar and he'd be like, um, what are you going to climb a, a molehill? Because there's no time to train here. And so then we had to get creative, right? So sometimes my training would be, oh, this Zoom call, I don't have to have my camera on. So I'm going to do it at an angle on a treadmill and get some vertical in. And then Junior has a soccer game. So I'm going to go bring a 12-inch step to that soccer game with a backpack full of water bottles and go up and down for an hour and a half because that gets it in. So a lot of it is like, where can you get creative and combine? And then a lot of it is, okay, do I really need that in my calendar, right? So I started getting very specific. I have a tendency to um, procrastinate, if anybody can relate. And I know I'm procrastinating because I like to clean the junk drawer in my kitchen that one of my children would happily do for a dollar, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't have time to clean the junk drawer of my kitchen if I'm going to go do these other things. And so I started getting specific in my calendar and say like, oh, okay, here's 30 minutes of downtime or here's 30 minutes with this kid or here's 30 minutes with this all of a sudden laundry and some of these other things don't fit into your calendar okay well fine i would rather read a book with my child than fold laundry so i'm gonna have to hire that piece out or i'm gonna have to figure out how to combine this and so i do feel like when you have a goal your life becomes so much more streamlined because it has to that's a good point Makes sense yeah so you got daily routine. We got your, your physical. How do you keep yourself growing mentally? Oh, I'm a reading. Well, like when you do physical, I like to listen to podcasts or I listen to book on tape or things like that. I'm not really a mute. Sometimes I'm a music person if I need to check out. But Jen, again, like we have all these different resources, right? Audiobooks are amazing. Or when I spend some time before I go to bed, my kids are old enough to read themselves. So we'll read together. I'll read my book. They'll read their book. And that's how we do our bedtime routine. So they get their 20 minutes in every day. And so it's just, again, combining things and being intentional about how you want to show up and what's important. Do you have a few favorites that you go back to and read regularly? Um, no. And ever since I started podcasting, I don't have the freedom to go back and read books regularly because I always have an author on the podcast and I want to read their book before they come on to make sure that I can promote and help them as much as possible. Um, but I do, I, like a recent book that I just read was Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. And it's, he talks about taking this restaurant, which was the top 50 in the world, but it was 50. And he takes you on the journey of getting it to be number one. And it's just fascinating to see what's involved in these restaurants to really become the number one restaurant in the world. And there's so many lessons that you can apply to your life on what's the experience my kids are having in the car when I pick them up from school. Is it a way, like, is there a way to have that experience be more loving or more kind or more connecting or like, it just allowed me to look at all my patterns in my day and like, evaluate like, what's the experience. Is this the experience I want it to be? Or is there a way to create it so it's something different? Like a candlelit breakfast is kind of a fun, different experience. That's awesome. I don't know if you, it, it, we don't watch very much TV, but B The Bear on Hulu is a, is a show with, with the kid Lip from Shameless. And he's a, he's a chef and he comes home to take over his brother's like sandwich shop and turn it into like a Michelin star rated um, 
restaurant, but so much of what is in the show is real to the hospitality industry. And you get to see what goes into these top, right, these places that I've never eaten at, but these places where it's like the people that are talking to you are researching you before you're ever going in there. And they know yeah. that you don't necessarily, or one, one thing they had in the movie was they know that this one family, the daughter wanted to have Chicago pizza, but they hadn't had it yet. So they sense a runner to go get this like Chicago pizza. And then they take this pizza and they turn it into this amazing dish. The chef, you know, custom dish. And it's like, those are the type of things where you're right. Like that type of thing to invest into your life. Like what can I do to, to make this situation a better experience? What can I do to make this more conscious and more intentional with this hour that I get with my daughter or this, you know, meeting that I'm having with this individual, how can I make this more intentional? And that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, I have a speech in um, Tennessee in a couple of weeks and I'm going there and my, one of my sons is huge into music. So I'm taking him with me and we're going to go to the country hall music fame and all that kind of stuff together. And he's going to sit on my speech, which is going to be an hour, maybe like an hour, like a little bit on either side, but he gets to see what mom does. And then we get to have the rest of the day to go do something that he's interested in and we fly home. And so just figuring out like, how can we combine these experiences so that we get to include our loved ones and double dip? My suggestion is stay away from like downtown Nashville, other than just like walking it to see it. Downtown Nashville is like Las Vegas now. And every single bar, oh, and, and every single bar doesn't, they don't even have like, I mean, this sounds awful to say, but they're not like real musicians trying to like do their craft. It's these it's these basically you ever go to dueling pianos where you pay like 20 bucks yeah. and make them play like gin and juice on a fucking piano and you're like oh this is so cool that's what all of yeah. these are because these people are trying to make extra this is their job so they're not doing uh, their art they're not they're not showing you their soul through their music they're literally like hey 100 bucks i'll play gin and juice and we'll make it sound like like kenny chesney sang it and it's like i don't want to see that so like my suggestion for nashville is like do your research ahead of time and find the outskirts okay. places where like the people who sold everything and moved there and live in a van. Those are the people yep. that are playing in those places. Oh, cool. I'll definitely keep an eye on that. Thank you. One quick hack. I just figured out this week. I don't know if you guys know Spotify yeah. premium has auto audiobooks now. Oh, wow. So, okay, so cool. Spotify premium, I know a lot of uh, probably over half of our listeners listen on Spotify. If you have Spotify premium, you don't even need to buy audiobooks anymore. You can stream audiobooks and nearly every book I've looked for has been on there. So little tidbit oh, cool. information from us to everybody out there. Yay. Um, what is your, what does your spiritual practice look like? Oh, I am big into the woo woo. Let's be go. I love so, the woo woo. Yes. Yeah, I do too. I was not a woo-woo person, but here's why I am. I, two months before my car accident, I was introduced to that book called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Okay. And I read it because up until that point, to me, surrender was a weakness and he gave up and how could that ever be a superpower and blah, 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 blah. So I journaled on this like term for two months and I finally was like, wow, it really is the key to flow and surrender and all this kind of stuff. And then the universe gives me an accident that like the only way I survived is because I surrendered, right? So I'm like, oh, funny universe, you test are you. And so for me, um, I love breath work. I do that a lot. Um, I do 
yoga. I do moving meditations. I do trigger meditations in my daily practice. So a trigger meditation for those of you that is listening is every single time I touch a doorknob, you can pick whatever trigger you want. You go to the bathroom, you open the kitchen refrigerator, whatever. It, I take three deep breaths. And so it just breaks whatever my day is into something where I'm like, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to stop that momentum, connect back to myself and then continue forward. So trigger meditations have been huge for me because it just gets me from snowballing out of who I want to show up as. I think for, for a majority of people, their trigger should be when they unlock their phone for no reason. Yes. When you, when you, when you hit the side button and then you do whatever your password is just to look at your screen and go, what was I going to do on here? That should be your trigger meditation. You'd be the most mindful person in the world. (laughs) Yes. Watch out Yoda. Right. (laughs) And then I know we talked prior to recording, but we talked about emotional being, um, kind of the toughest for a lot of us, especially us kind of high achieving folk who are constantly on the grind. The emotional is kind of like, well, just that doesn't need, I don't need that right now. How do you stay emotionally available for your kids, emotionally available for the people in your life? Um, but also take care and improve your, your EQ, right? Your emotional intelligence. Um, yeah, it's my least favorite category to work on. So that's the category that I need the most work on because it's not my fun zone by any means. Um, and again, I think it's just being intentional. I started, I don't really have that many. I didn't start with many emotions. Sign number one, you don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. And so I realized like everything kind of fell into like these 10 key emotions. And one of my friends was like, maybe you should just start at the end of the day and like go through some of the emotions that you felt that day and see if you can expand that to 20, 40, 50, you know, and start like recognizing that, guess what? Not everything is anger. Not everything is sadness. Not everything is excitement. And like being able to have a wider vocabulary around emotions has been very helpful for me. And then also allowing myself to have the emotion and know that it's not going to take me down. And I can, it's going to flow through me. And I'm not like, I had this fear of, I don't want to be that whiny little like sobby thing that like doesn't do anything, right? Like the story that you write in your head of what that person is. And I've been able to like rewrite some of those stories and be, it's okay to cry. Like I can, like I can cry and it's not meaning like I'm this sobby, wimpy noodle. It's okay. So just like those kind of things have been helping me. I am, um, I, I'm a big, burly, bearded muscle dude right so I get kind of put in this corner in this box where it's like that dude is you know he's gonna grunt if you try to talk at him right but I'm very much like the the Han Solo type healer and I feel very I feel very connected to people's trauma and Mm -hmm. my kids hate it to the point that whenever like they point out somebody that is doing something wrong they are they now already jump my gun and they go oh what did their parents do to him dad right like they know They know that that 90% of mental and emotional issues come from some sort of issue in the past, whether it be uh, a trauma caused on them or, you know, some sort of the, the way their parents didn't love them and a yeah, their interpretation, an abandonment issue, an enmeshment from a mother who didn't like a father and turned them into a surrogate spouse and all these different, right, deep issues that most people have not even started to crack into and find why they are who they are. And I just started reading, um, I think it's called the body keeps score and it is by, it is by the gentleman who originated 
um, basically trauma research because when he started into um, giving drugs for mental illnesses that were caused by trauma experience, it the, the common literature of the day was that a father-daughter incestual relationship would actually improve the daughter's ability to assimilate into society. That's how fucked up the literature was on trauma at that time, like just as a really shitty example, right? And so he mm-hmm. saw this and he's like, oh, like th- these aren't just people that that have schizophrenia. These aren't just people that have bulimia that we can treat with with drugs. We need to treat their original trauma. And if we can figure out how through EMDR and talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and all these different therapeutic techniques, if we can figure out how to take that, that 10 of trauma and turn it into a non-emotional memory, all of a sudden these people are coming back and they are able to live a true life again. And so I bring that up because I think so many people are unaware of how much of their true emotion is driven by memories versus their interpretation of their current reality. And if you guys have not seen it, there's a video going around the internet and I've seen it 20 different times. And it's like, um, listen to these people chanting, where is my pancake or something? Right. And it's like, where is my pancake? Where is my pancake? And then all of a sudden it puts a different sentence on and it's like, I don't even remember what the other sentence is. And it goes through 10 different yeah, sentences. Yeah, right, but you, can, you hear the different sentence based on what you're trained to hear, what you're primed to hear. Yes, every time and so you just see it. You realize like everything I'm doing is like based on a previous experience that's allowing me to experience this this way. Yeah, so if, if we can just yeah. become aware of what we are doing and how our past has molded us to today, it makes us so much more powerful, even if we're not through the damage, even if we haven't processed the damage and gone through the therapy, whatever works for you, because that's the problem is it's not a drug, right? It can't just give you a pill and you're, and you're fixed. Um, but even just being aware, like, oh, that person looked at me funny. Well, that's, they're probably not judging me. And if they are judging me, they're judging me because of their own internal damage. Maybe I, you know, just was in their way and they're in a hurry because they got a text from their kid's school that they need to go pick up their kid. Like, why am I letting that emotionally affect me? Because they look at me funny. Whereas without being aware of that, we're constantly like, oh, that person judged me, right? Or whatever whatever the case is during the day. And, you know, Martin and his road rage. Martin, no road rage. Process it and spit it out. It's getting better. You're getting better. Yeah. I love it. Well, for me, I was on this mountain. We were in a horrible snowstorm and it was dark, like like the lighting wasn't bright. So I was wearing pink lenses and we're like, we're going along for like two hours. And then these pink lenses, I'm thinking like everything looks like a cotton candy machine. I'm just thinking about like what happens a cotton candy land was real. And then my rope looked like a watermelon rind. So I started singing that song, watermelon sugar high. And I'm like having all this fun. And then the alarm goes. So we stop to have a snack and water because at altitude, you don't always remember to eat. And I go to adjust my goggles and all the energy zapped out of my body within like two seconds. Cause I was like, Hey guys, how long have we been in this horrific snowstorm? And they all looked at me like, 
where you have been with us this entire time. Like, why are you being funny now? Like, this isn't funny. And I realized like I got lost into my imagination because I had this different perspective because of the goggles I was wearing. It's like that simple. So when you're going through life and you're like, things are harder, or it's just not fun or whatever, that's a pause. What's another lens that we can put on to enjoy this situation better? That's per- That's a perfect example. Your your perception yeah. of reality is your reality. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. We got the emotional, spiritual, mental. I think we got everything. Did we cover all the four four pillars, Martin. Oh yeah. Yeah. She squared away. Awesome. What's a I'm What's a quote you've had on your on your mind lately? Um. Okay, I'm like a total nerd. I just want to live while I'm alive. That's been on my mind. Bon Jovi. Thank you. Thank you. First concert I went to as a child. Um, that song, like, I just want to live while I'm alive, has been in my head lately because we're coming into this holiday season and I want to remember to make it fun and playful and not be like, oh, I got to put up trees. I got to put away pumpkins. I got to do all these things. I get so, to. I get to do all these things. I get to. I know. I get to. I have such a privilege that I have all these plastic ornaments that we stored in bins that I get to unwrap and hang on this tree. <laughs> you get to. <laughs> I get to. Give everybody, uh, give everybody your website. Tell them where to find you. Tell them something you're working on. Yeah. Okay. So website is jendrummond.com. Double N on Jen. I have the book coming out January 9th. So please pre-order and buy a copy. That'd be amazing. Doing speaking events and I have challenges running on my website. So check it out and join one. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. Martin, you got anything else? Oh, check out Breakproof. Sounds good. Got it. Yay. We're on it. Thank you, y'all.